Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Boxhead Pod. My name is Howell. This is Jamie. Hello. And Matthew Wandless in London. Good evening. Difficult to no lot any longer call Matthew Long Wandless a guest on the podcast, um, but let's remain that way for now. Um, happy I'm out uh, of the furniture. Happy February to you. We're, we're here. It's February. We haven't got our opening music as usual for technical reasons, which I won't go into because it's boring. But who knows? Maybe it's better without it. In fact, if you're a musician and you listen to this podcast, if you'd like to write as a new theme tune, why don't you do yeah. that? Um, pretty much. If you could include some slap bass, yeah, that'd be great. Some Seinfeld slap bass, or I'll accept a Kimmy Schmidt style theme tune. I, I'm, I cannot imagine that anybody skips the intro on Kimmy Schmidt because of how oh, good that is. Great. Um, I can't remember what it is. Like, unbreakable. Um, they live, damn it. Oh, yes, I remember that, yeah. yeah. Um, um, you know, there is a program out there. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but someone was talking about it at work today, uh, which will generate license-free um, ambient music for you. <laughs> and you can e- you can even like do things like ask for specific crescendos at specific times. Oh. Uh, you can set beats per minute, tone. Oh, this is supposed to make me happy, but it's depressing me so much. Oh. It's a niche, it's a niche little product. It's a pretty Sounds good great. idea. Yeah, yeah, it does. I'll get someone to generate us a theme tune. <laughs> be careful. Yeah, it, it throw some keywords at me and uh, <laughs> be, be give careful. me some crescendo times and a BPM. Uh, be careful yeah. what you wish no, for, boys. We don't boys. really need musicians. No one at least needs to learn an instrument anymore. <laughs> That's what I love. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my heart is breaking. Be careful. Soon it'll be podcasts. You just t- say what you're interested in and then automatically <laughs> opinionated <laughs> conversation will happen. Wikipedia and just give you a load of information. Yeah, yeah, so this week I fell down a rabbit hole known as Twitter, right? And I've, got, I've just got to tell this story because um, on the subject of like automated opinions... That's almost how I see social media now. So the story came out this week about Liam Neeson, yeah? yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I won't repeat what he said, but Liam Neeson... Liam Neeson told a story about when he was so angry that he went out looking for a specific race of person to beat up with a kosh um, when a family member of his was raped. Now... That is um, a man who told a story. He used some racist language in his story and he admitted in the story that he was ashamed of what he'd done and said back in the day when he was a young man in Ireland. Now, what then happened on Twitter was millions of tweets essentially saying, in the same way as you would about Donald Trump, who purposely says divisive things and doesn't isn't ashamed of them whatsoever, saying he should lose his job, we should boycott all Liam Neeson films, um, all of that. Can I ask what your yeah. two's take on this was, beginning with Matthew, as he spoke first now? Uh, well, it was a... I imagine it would be considered a poor PR move by Neeson, but ultimately uh, is he's telling a story about a stupid thing that he did, rather than... 
mm. uh, defining his own ideology. Disagree with so, that, Jamie? Um, oh, you're going, Matt. Well, no, for me, it's uh, it's a, an incredible uh, reaction, an overreaction. Mm. And uh, the fact that he's being called out by the likes of Piers Morgan uh, <laughs> oh. just shows that, you know, if there is a God, he is not without a sense of yeah. irony. <laughs> you agree with that, Jamie? Yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, I do think that talking about when you once had racist... Uh, and intentions to hurt somebody of a certain race to, to pay back for a crime. You know, admitting that shouldn't be, you shouldn't expect to be rewarded for that. You shouldn't expect mm. to be lauded as, oh, he's at least he's admitting that he was, you know, he had these preconceived sort of uh, prejudices. So he should, you're going to get a backlash for that. He had to see that coming. I know in the context of how he's trying to, he's talking about how unforgivable it was that he thought like that. But he's still admitting that in the past he, th- he thought in a in a certain way. So I think it's stupid of him to tell that story, and the way he told the story was stupid. Well, I'm not certain. Yes, I agree. It's, it's it's unusual for someone who has spent that much time in the public eye to make such an obvious kind of PR gaffe in the presence of a journalist. It wasn't even like it was sort of found on his social media feed. He was sitting there with a journalist and told this story. I suppose that's yeah. the... But I think he's actually, he did it to underscore the fact that you can't hold a people responsible for the actions of one person. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean, he, in, in his simple mind, he was obviously just saying, uh, he was talking about vengeance. The movie's about vengeance of some kind, and he said it's a very powerful thing, vengeance. Let me tell you a story about... I when... didn't even realise there was context like that. I just yeah, thought he was yeah. just telling the story like the Graham Norton No, show. no, no. It was an interview about the film, him and Jason Now, Bateman. Liam, we've got a funny story about a time when you were younger <laughs> and you all got really pissed off at the black fella. No, he was <laughs> saying, you know... Can you tell the story? I... I imagine, I didn't read this far back, but I imagine the question was along the lines of how do you tap into vengeance of that kind or, of, or you know, if this film is very cruel, uh, a lot like The Punisher, which we'll come on to this evening, how do you justify that level of violence ever? And he was saying there is a time when I felt overwhelmed by vengeance and walked the street for nights looking for somebody to beat up. Um, and and uh, as somebody who who had uh, experience and you know an ex of mine went through uh, sexual uh, attacks and and i understand that completely there's nothing that could stop me coshing a person if i had the chance you know in that time people heard that story and and went i mean even as a p you're saying it's bad pr move and i think that's what's sad about the story he was specifically picking out one race of people to attack yes. yeah he wasn't yeah. looking for the person he was looking for anyone who was similar to that person but, but that was him mentioning that was him saying this is how mad it makes you is that you can make a move that is as stupid as saying i'm just gonna if it was about um, a Serbian person. I'm looking for the first Serbian person. Yeah, no, I understand. Person. But yeah, uh, the way yeah. you framed it a moment ago yeah. was not like that. Right, no. I, no, I was just giving context to you for the uh, why he was talking about it. Was was the he, he was trying to explain when something like that happens, this is what I did. So it wasn't just kind of out of the blue, here's a wacky anecdote about when I was a nut job. Um, and and uh, so anyway, I went on Twitter and I said... Oh, look, somebody has just been um, it, it told a story. A man has just told a story about when he was ashamed of something he did and said he was ashamed of it. And we are all then saying we should 
hang him up because he uh, should be ashamed of it. And someone replied to me <laughs> saying, oh, I used a word to describe him. Anyway, I got into an argument with a stranger on Twitter about it. And it was like, immediately, I was a racist because it, I was defending the racism. I wasn't defending the racism at all. I was I was attacking the way that we react on social media to things. And uh, if there isn't if we don't allow for a gray area to say, well, like you said Jamie, it's a bad it's a bad PR move to admit to something. But that we've heard millions of stories from people in the past where they've said, well, once upon a time I was a shoplifter and I did this thing that I'm not proud of. And this is the reason yeah, or I, I did it. Yeah, I was a drug dealer, but yeah. the, 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 those aren't based those aren't about an underlying ideology. I can understand mm, mm. where the backlash has come from. I don't agree with it. Yeah. But when you when you align yourself with a certain set of values, you have to expect that, which is why I'm saying that it's a bad PR move. Now, that is a great discussion. That's a great point that you just made. And I listen to that point, and I learn from that point. And that's what you cannot do on social media. And yeah, that's... well, certainly not on Twitter. Like, there's no... Mm. Gray, you're right, there's no grey area on Twitter. So... It's the idea that anything you put out into the public, like Liam Neeson telling that story, you're not going to get a nuanced kind of, uh, you know, a mixture of opinions that are all kind of understanding where it comes from in, well, no, the, in the world we live in today. Well, not on, not in social media, you won't. You will. You'll just, get it there as well, but you'll get it from two or three percent of them. That's yeah, the issue. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to my students a couple of weeks ago. I've got this class of students that find it very... Hold on a second. What, what are you teaching them? <laughs> radio, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, Pardon? Radio. Oh, okay. Well, all right, fine. That's can, all right. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, uh, they, they're incredibly... They find it difficult to be proactive. Uh, they, I just cannot get them to do what they need to do. And I sort of had a, a bit of a... Uh, sort of cards you're about on to go youth of today you can't teach them anything no they don't want to do anything no just this class but i had okay. a, i had a i had a good chat with them and said you know why you tell me why is it that you find it so difficult and one of them said if you're a young person now you are expected to be on the right side immediately of everything you can't make a mistake You've got to be on the right side of trans rights, whatever that is. As soon as you make a statement, you're told that that is incorrect and you are immediately attacked for it if you get it wrong. Uh, or Sorry, what, when you say whatever that is, what are you referring to? Uh, whatever their opinion is. Are you referring is. to what the right so, side is? No, no. Whatever you put, your, whatever you say, they feel like, whatever they say, somebody else okay. will immediately tell them that they're wrong. And, right. and um, because there's no learning involved in that, they just feel like, meanwhile, they're all trying to be on the right side of all these uh, liberal points of view. In the real world, Trump and Brexit are happening. Like, the only people who are actually actively doing anything are the people on the far right. Everyone else is arguing about the correct way to say things, but not doing anything. And the, so they're, they're almost like, the world is crumbling around us, and yet, and we can't say anything right because you have to know the answer before you even say anything. And that's the thing well, about... this has always been the problem with the left wing versus the right, is the right mm. can get their shit together. Yeah, they actually do something. Yeah. The left wing spend too long arguing about how best to do it. And now the left wing have found... Because we're all so goddamn polite. Yeah, and we've found this place. The left wing have found their energy is being put into social media, which is just people writing things on their phone while everybody you know else is doing I'm stuff. I'm about to coin a phrase. Yeah. 
say what you like about arseholes, they get shit done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you just make that up? Because that works on I every did. level. I just made it up and I realised it made, it's yeah. uh, very good. <laughs> Pat on the back for myself. So anyway. Like not in like Team America or something. It feels like it's, something that... So, no, no, that's about um, dicks fucking assholes. Yeah, that's uh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that, by the way, that is what I got in the argument about. The actual original tweet that I wrote was, we, Liam Neeson has just uh, uh, told a story of when he behaved like a dick and said he was ashamed of it, and now we're all calling him a dick. Social media is just a, a polemic of opinion. And someone it, it, it messaged me saying, he wasn't being a dick, he was being a racist um, lunatic. And I said, well, I, like, I, I, I don't discern between... Uh, I think that if you're racist, you're a dick. So I think that's dickish behaviour. And it became an argument about what I meant, not the... It, it was just <laughs> ridiculous. I ended up making friends with this person on direct message. I said, will you just follow me so that I can send <laughs> but, you a direct look, message? Can I just say, that this, this whole thing isn't without context at all because a lot of people... Um, well, the the key thing about this is that he volunteered this story. It wasn't he was yes. It wasn't, it wasn't someone secretly said, recorded. Um, I heard a story about you mm. being racist, and he was trying to explain it away. Mm-hmm. He volunteered it. Yes, but the same get out has been used for people who have been accused of um, sexual harassment, sexual assault, and they've said, "Yeah, no, it was a dark time for me, and I was I uh, said and I've come first. through it." Yes, yeah. um, but you still did it. Totally, and I um, still, and I'm not saying that he was—he's a great guy, and I—I I, I don't know, I don't know what his mindset is, and certainly you've pointed out a couple of times that the, the grey area in this is how much did he really think this was a good story to tell, and therefore why did he think that was a good story to tell? But he went on Good Morning America today, I think, and did an interview, and uh, basically said the saying that he said, "Listen, if I didn't actually say he was quoted on social media as saying was the person black." He didn't. He said, what colour was the person? Similar thing, but not what everyone was quoting that he said. And he said, it, at the time, if anybody, if, if they had said he was Armenian, I would have looked for any Armenian because that's how mad I was and that's how, you know, the, that's how the, the sort of troubles made us think in such tribal ways in, in Northern Ireland, that that's the way I behaved. And it was a really good answer. It was a good explanation. I don't know, may, whatever Liam Neeson is, I don't know. The point is that once I was direct messaging the person who was arguing about semantics, I was able to. We were able to sort of agree that Twitter doesn't allow us to have a proper conversation. Um, so all of this was because I really don't. I, I really can see us getting to a point where you can have a bloody app that creates a podcast just of extreme opinions. You just, you just tell it what you want, and it'll go. Yeah, I'm against Trump. I'm for him. And we won't need to have debate anymore because debate is dying fast. We're just in our silos shouting to our own echo chamber. And that is the end of the world, people. Good night. Yeah. Mm. That's we... all we have time for in the Boxer Pod. That's right. Yeah. 15, 15 <laughs> minutes. That's it. Sorry. Jeez. So I finished watching Kidding, Jamie. Right, yeah. Um, what do you think? I think it's one of my favourite TV series ever. I think it's wonderful. Uh, you know, I've mentioned on this podcast recently that I developed a fairly strong cancer phobia this year, last year, uh, which, uh, which you know, I've got a grip of. But um, one of the things that I realised during that was that we very, very rarely see uh, cancer being dealt with in a 
uh, is, is positive the word in a in a sort of here's here's a real here's an artistic look here's a poetic look at a situation like that and I don't want to give anything away but there is an episode of this where they deal with what is still to love about the world and why why um, such bad things as that have to exist in order for us to love the world. And it's the way that it's put and the way it's written and the way it's performed and the song that they have at that point. I think it's just one of the greatest bits of telly. I and, knew you'd love it. Oh, and, and the, the end, the very last five minutes of the series is amazing. <laughs> the arc of yeah. the series is amazing. The, uh, it's just brilliant it's just a brilliant brilliant beautiful piece of television which i found a lot more stomachable uh than uh, digestible than eternal sunshine of the spotless mind uh, that almost felt like a warm-up to this that felt very miserable and very dark this feels a lot more comic what? well it's pretty sad it's pretty hard work i mean jim carrey is dragging himself through some serious depression isn't he in in um eternal sunshine Whereas, yeah, I guess, but Kate Winslet's pretty wonderful. I mean, yeah. it, um, she well, is the um, the kind of definition of the what's that uh, term? Uh, fantastic pixie something. I can't remember. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, the, 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 the woman that's there to fix a man. All right. Yeah. No, um, no, no. But it's still it's a it's a, it's a nice film. Well, it, it, you, I think the difference in this one is that you're watching a guy who probably is seriously depressed but is completely in denial of that. <laughs> and therefore, you're waiting for this time bomb to go off. And that the energy that that gives and the comedy that that provides. You know, you just start a scene and there's like a trashed lamp on the floor next to him and you don't see how it happened. And he doesn't seem to know yeah. how it happened. <laughs> and then the scene just starts and it's about something else. And it's like, oh, something's going on here. It's just brilliant. Jamie, I, I just love it. I could, I could. If if this series doesn't carry on for three series, I'll be absolutely gutted. It's so good. Yeah, it's due to have a second series, so there is more coming. Well, but are you tempted by this, then, Matt? Yeah, I'll watch it. Uh, I'll have a go. I love it. If you like Michelle Gondry, and you, you, I, I can't see how you wouldn't enjoy Who's this. Michelle Gondry, the guy who directed um, Eternal Sunshine. Oh. Right, sorry, no, uh, I, I couldn't tell you another film he's done. Um, he did music videos, didn't he, Jamie? He did Before adaptation, oh. adaptation with Nicolas Cage playing. Oh, adaptation, that's a film I don't know how I feel about. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but that's where I, I mean, think that's he's Charlie Kaufman, you know. That's where I think he's really got to this point. This is almost like watching a, 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 all of my favourite things. It's do, like the Muppets do, do, adaptation. It's great. Go on, Jamie. Go on. Sorry, do you do you like? Um, just trying to think of other th- things he's done. Michelle Gondry. Um, do you do? Do you, I don't think he'd be in John Malkovich. That was Spike Jones, wasn't it? So, mm, but yeah, yeah but it's, it's very much in that world yeah. normally. And this, the way this is written, is it's got a lighter touch. I find it difficult to watch three of these things back to back because it's quite, it's so good and it makes you think so philosophically that it's quite a lot of work, but it's not the same it's not a sort of miserable work you know it's um it's just lovely this is on netflix right uh no uh, it'll be on your whatever your murdoch device is now tv if you've got it okay yeah i've got that yeah um kidding uh and is it a drama it's a comedy it's a dark comedy 
So um, yeah, I mean, it's not a comedy like an out-and-out comedy like no. The Good Place or something like that. It's not like no. that. No. What, what could you compare it with, Jamie? Maybe a, I mean, a bit closer to a um, Wes Anderson. Maybe a bit closer to that than your regular mainstream stuff, I suppose. It's quirky, is it? Yeah, um, but it's, it's a still very hard show to compare. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's still very straight. It's still linear narrative mostly, and and it's. You know the structure isn't nuts. It's it's accessible, but it's really beautifully done, and um, and it takes imaginative leaps. So, for example, at one point, uh, somebody could be having a conversation with somebody else, but their mouth isn't moving, and you can just hear their voice. And in reality, they're not really talking, but you know that they know what each other are thinking. Or there's just there's little um, breaks in stuff that that work. It does it doesn't make you go. Uh. It's stupid. It's uh, it's just really subtly and lovely done. So if you forget, do you remember the setup of it, Matt? No. So essentially, Mister Pickles is a t is a children's TV presenter. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's like the Letterman of uh, everybody knows him, and something very tragic has happened to him, and it's and his dad is the executive producer of this show, and it's the size of Oprah. Um, and yeah. and his dad's character played by Jamie. Yeah. His dad's played by uh, Frank Langella. Uh, oh. Is is one of those very good robot and Frank? Yeah, robot I, and Frank. Yeah, is that the yeah. robot Frank? Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, and he's in Frost <clears throat> Nixon as well as Nixon. Yes, yeah. and it's one of the most nuanced. It's one of the best characters of like old men that you've ever seen, and you kind brilliant. of yeah. unsure about I what you him think doing, about uh, him. Lear. Did you? Really? Yeah. Ooh. It was all right. Just all right. Oh, dear. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah. Um, well, his his character in this is just so fascinating. You're not sure what you think, and it's, it, you know, he's kind of playing a studio boss. So on the one hand, every decision he's making seems to be um, something that traditionally we should be going, oh, he's the money guy, he's the bad guy. But on the other hand, there's loads of logic attached to what he's, <laughs> he's saying, and he, it's just brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, so watch it, yeah. Kidding. Can't recommend it highly enough. Love it. Uh, yeah, it's quirky and poignant, which are two hard things to do together. And mm. it's definitely there's some really lovely lines in there. I can't. I was trying to remember. There's a there's a few yeah, lines in yeah. the show that are just wonderful. I want. And when I heard them, I was like, oh wow, that's such a great way of phrasing something. But I can't remember it, so it doesn't matter. But it's full of lovely little nuggets of wiseness. I had exactly the same thought. I remember watching the last episode last night and thinking, oh, I should write that line down. Um, Yeah. It's so, so good. It's just lovely. Um, It's almost like you could dislike this series but also say, you know, maybe you hate Jim Carrey or or whatever. You you could dislike it but you you couldn't criticise it for not being absolutely consistent with itself, you know? It's um, no, it's absolutely, and and I think Jim Carrey's brilliant in it. Like, you know, it's great to see him do something like this, and I think he works really well with Michelle Gondry. Mm. Like, I, I heard an interview with him where he spoke about how they have quite a, you know, a tempestuous relationship. Oh, really? Working together, oh, yeah. That's I think they, good. they do kind of butt heads a little bit, but it tends to bring out the best in each other. Mm. And, uh, have you seen um, the documentary he did about uh, yes. Man in the Moon? So good. Oh. <laughs> I've, been me- I've been meaning to watch it for a while. I've- I haven't seen it. It's- oh, have you not? It's called Be- Being Andy. Jim and Andy, it's called. Jim and Andy. Tim and Andy, mate. It's so good. 
Ah, uh, it's one of my favorite documentaries. That as well. I mean, it's I, because I think you can watch that. Some people watch that and say, "I think Jim Carrey is uh, actually insane." I watch yeah. it and go, "I agree with his worldview in one hundred percent on this." I think he's got the really? the answer but to you, the meaning of life. Well, you, you yeah. do feel a little bit sorry for him, though, don't you? Mm. Because mm. So there's an element of he's not really happy in this in this time in his life he didn't seem very happy yes and yeah you get that sense anyway have you seen his um episode of comedians in cars getting coffee yes brilliant. yes joyous that's fucking weird man yeah <laughs> but he he's just like i think he's a man and this is what i mean jamie not 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 when he was making that film i've got a different relationship yeah. with him then but now when he's looking back at it and the view he's got on life i mean one of the things he kind of says basically is when we all, what we all don't realize is that we're sort of fearing and counting down the days to death. And in our last few moments, we'll realize that it was all a joke. Oh, there's nothing to worry about. And we'll have the most amazing sense of relief in the last four seconds, you know. <laughs> um, and, I, and I think he really has, and he's sort of, sort of has that attitude when you see him in comedians in cars getting coffee. It's like he's not necessarily sticking his face in every gurning in everyone's face, but he does seem to genuinely be living his life to try and be as happy as he can every day and just you know. Yeah, but he seems like a bit of a freaking nut job as well. <laughs> well, maybe watching that he documentary will like answer that. Boring as hell after an hour as well. Well, a lot of comedians are. I used to live with one, and he used to watch me watch TV no, for different reasons, though. It was tedious. He's just, it, He's like he's he comes across pretty wanky in in that comedians in cars. Yeah, I mean you got to remember this was like the most famous man on the planet for a few years, the best played man in Hollywood. <laughs> I know, but so is, so is Seinfeld, and Seinfeld doesn't come across like that. Yes, but Seinfeld's personality wasn't this one forced into, um, you know, trying to appear like nothing matters in the world. Seinfeld was the opposite. Seinfeld was um, embodying the. The cynic, the stand-up comic, you know, yeah. neurotic. And so Jim Carrey had to deal with the fact that he either had to divorce himself from this character that he created that had become the most famous character ever or um, or continue with it. And he sort of, that's why he sort of went off, off, off the scene because he just went, I can't live, I cannot continue in this mode anymore. And he almost says that that's the reason why he ended up embodying Andy Kaufman completely. Was that was the only way that he could approach this part was to like become a, become him. <laughs> it was just so. Anyway, watch it, Jim and Andy, kidding, both of them, brilliant. And um, in terms of what I said about consistency of kidding, you can't question that it's true to itself. That is something that you could question when we came to the second series of True Detective, which didn't feel like it hung together as well as the first series. We're now on to series three. I haven't watched it because the second series annoyed me so much. Um, but you two have both started it. There's my segue into True Detective. Jamie. Yes, it is back on track. It's very, very, very much trying to get back to the first series, that first series feel of a murder mystery of two detectives working together to solve a crime, missing children in this case, flashing back to the crime itself and then back 10 years after the crime and then to present day um, looking at the sort of documentary that's being made about this crime 30, uh, 30 years on and the detectives who are still alive. And it's got a great cast. It's got Mahershala Ali, who's, a, who's an Oscar winner from House of Cards. He's also 
nominated for the Green Book, and he's a brilliant actor. He's really good, and the makeup for his old man makeup is brilliant. Phenomenal, the best old man believe I've ever seen. Do you think it's CGI or what? I think it's just done with makeup. It's really good. Wow, brilliant. Nice. Does it make um, you though? Does it make you like me want to see him play Mandela instead of Idris Elba? <laughs> oh, because yeah. I, I think that yeah. would be better. <laughs> well, I haven't seen I haven't seen uh, Idris Elba's, but uh, nor have I. But there's a reason, right? That we both haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Neither um, of us are sitting there going, "Oh man, Idris Elba is Mandela." That makes sense. Matt's, <laughs> Matt's jealous because he went for the part and he didn't get it, and Idris Elba did. Not even close. Can you do an impression yeah. of Mandela, Matt? I'm sure I could, but I'm not going to. Jamie, I bet Jamie can. Yeah. Go on, Jamie. I am not going to do that. Flipping it, you doing that, boys. My you... Mandela is very similar to the one in uh, Harry Enfield's show. <laughs> okay, uh, so Jamie, it's back on track. Matt, have you have you watched it all? No, it's not all out yet, is it? No, no. Oh. Um, I've only not. seen the first two episodes. And I think you... there's five, it's five episodes in, but yeah, I'm only two in as well. I'm trying to let it build a bit of momentum before I go deep diving in. Um, I'll tell you what, but... though. When was the last time you saw Stephen Dorff? I, that's a great question. Who's Stephen Dorff? That rings a bell. I have no idea what he has done between Blade and now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was the last thing I was thinking of, Blade. Yeah, but, whatever um... he's done, I ain't seen it. All heard of it. Yeah. No clue. And I liked no, him he's, played. I thought he was great. And he's done a good job in this so far. I'm quite liking uh, his work. It's good yeah, to see I liked him. Yeah, his, uh, his leather punching people gloves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I was going to punch people, I'd have a special pair of gloves for A it. special pair of leather gloves. I have no idea who <laughs> These Stephen These are my punching is. people gloves. <laughs> I've even just Googled Stephen Dorff and I don't recognise him, so there we go. Um, he's the bad guy in Blade. That's right. So uh, he was in Blade. No, Owl. Yeah, for a while a he was going to be. For the while he was going to be the new Christian Bale. He was like the heartthrob, <laughs> the big pinup. Oh, star of... swerve for a moment. Has either of you seen V? Uh, not V. Vice. No. No. You know what it is? Right. Christian Bale playing yes. uh, Dick Cheney. It's brilliant. Loved it. Loved it. Good. Go and see it. Um, Carry on. I like the uh, the theme they're continuing. I think what they they decided that what was missing from True Detective series two was uh, an yeah. Oscar winning or nominated actor uh, talking yeah. so low and gruffly that you can't understand sixty yeah. percent of what they're saying. I'll tell you what they also <laughs> decided they were missing was uh, some sort of tiny little creepy doll or uh, wooden. Yeah, uh, effigy left of the crime scene <laughs> because yeah. once again they've uh, added that to the mix. Oh, as soon as I saw that, as soon as I saw the wooden uh, little doll thing, I thought, "Oh, please don't let, please don't go down this route again." But it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just it's another kind of mirror of the first series in a lot of ways. Yeah. What what and I do what, like. Where about was the second? This, sorry, Con. Nice no, right, go. I was going to say, where was the second series set? Was it in California? Mm, I don't think so. It was so. meant to be in an imag- uh, in a fictional place, uh, yeah, in, in LA called yeah. Da Vinci, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's that's the other thing they've done with this one is take it back to the kind of um, deep South American Midwest, or, or yeah, well, this, or this the deep South the, actually, isn't it? Sorry, this is Alabama, I think it's the Oz- it? yeah, it's the Ozarks, isn't it? It's set in the Ozarks, I think. No, that's Missouri. Um, I think this is in Alabama because they mentioned. Uh, um, 
Oh, maybe that. No, I don't know. Actually, I'm not sure now because they mentioned Little Rock the other day, which I thought was in Alabama, but now I'm thinking it might be in Missouri. Mm. But um, anyway, it's just I don't know if I've talked to you guys about how much stuff we're seeing set in Middle America. Uh, no, you didn't, and I'm guessing it's no. tax reasons. Yeah. Do you, does that strike you as as true? I think. Yeah, uh, I think. Yes, you're probably right, and it'll it'll be for one of two reasons: tax reasons or uh, suddenly the world has realised that there's people who live in middle America and they've decided elections, so why not go for them as an audience? Well, yeah, this is what I tend to subscribe to, that idea. In the same um, way, well, the, se- the second it, one I of those, yeah. Of anything other than this and Ozark that's set in middle America. Um, I but, think... Um, he- but set, no, I was thinking about documentaries as well. I was thinking about things like Wild Wild Country, which is yeah. much more mid- Midwest, but... Um, uh, Breaking uh, Bad was the forerunner, um, of course. Making a Murderer. Yeah. Uh, all these kind of, you know, stuff about uh, Hicks. Yes. And Rednecks. Yeah, yeah. Which, like sharp Objects as well. I do think it's yeah. harsh. Did you ever see Rich, uh, uh, what's his name, Rich, um, a Texan comedian? American. Oh, Rich Hall. Hall. Yeah. Uh, did you see his documentary about the uh, about Texas? No, no. Uh, it's really good, worth hunting down, and he essentially says how once you notice it, you notice it in everything. He essentially says, you know, if you're from Texas, you're used to every single part in any film that the bad guy is from Texas or the Deep South, um, and that they've always been played as, you know, idiots or deliverance or <laughs> the bad guys, and it's always the southern accent that they bring out for it. And I uh, really realised my own prejudice when I went to Austin and then uh, and went to Houston and went to the southern states and just loved it. Just thought it was one of the... Yeah. I just love it. It makes sense. Oh, man, and, I badly want to go to Texas. I really do. It's I, brilliant. I, I have, uh, Texas and um, certainly uh, New Orleans, I really want to go to. Oh, New Orleans is my favourite place on earth, I think. And Austin is just a fantastic city. And granted, Houston and Austin are the only places that didn't vote Trump. But um, it's a good example of where... That approach to uh, liberalism, as in, you know, kind of free market liberalism, the cowboy approach, is is really makes sense in those parts. And they're, they're not stupid people, they're smart people, and it's, it's a really great state for lots of reasons. So, yes, we are prejudiced I against think, that stuff. I think. But I think a lot of the reason that these shows are set in that particular area is because there's a lot of small-town communities and a lot of these... Fascinating murder-based dramas really kind of suit the have a town. lot more weight when they're set in these small communities, and you see that. And, and certainly, look at making a murderer, and you look at um, mm-hmm. Wild Wild Country. There's something about the the uh, these little places that end up having the world turned upside down by an event. Yeah, and I suppose more... the arrival of HD and the budgets that we see in uh, uh, online streaming means that gone is the day really of like, uh, I think the entire six, seven series of Gilmore Girls was clearly filmed on the Warner Brothers lot or Friends. Whenever they do an outside scene, it's clearly on the Warner Brothers. Like <laughs> They all use yeah. the same sets and everything. You can't really get away with that anymore. So location makes more sense and they can perhaps afford it more now. Uh, and plus, you're not yeah. making you know 21 episodes in a lot of those series. You you're making something more akin to a movie, so you you, you go for the uh, reality in camera True. stuff, don't you? Yeah. Um, I think. Um, but also, like the, 
back to this series. Yeah, is it really uh, worth my effort, boys? That's what I want to know. Is it worth it? I think it it's is. Annoyed me. That's it. Feels like you're at the start of something. It feels like you're diving into a deep pool. Yes. Cool. And the initial, the initial waves of of water that touch your toes may feel a little trepidatious, but you know that as you dunk your torso in, you'll really enjoy the warm feeling of the waters as they uh, soothe your rib cage. To continue <laughs> that analogy, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> the the good, the, I think the good, the interesting part of this one is that the older version of Mahershala's character, the one in present day, is uh, clearly suffering from dementia, and that's an interesting twist on his memories of the crime and his memories of that time in his life are slightly skewed by his own sort of struggle with his with his own sort of dementia. So there's, there's an interesting look at it in that respect. There's, um, it's nice to see things like that being explored and represented, um, etc. when it's done properly. Um, I am getting slightly annoyed at people shoving into scripts topical uh, campaign activist stuff. It does feel, I don't know whether you've noticed it, but in almost everything that I see at the moment, um, the, if it's not, you know, uh, Handmaid's Tale is a great example of female leads doing female story written by a woman Kimmy Schmidt is another one of my favourites great 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 and then there's the uh, pasted in lines that keep popping up that kind of go well obviously you can do that because you're a man and you've had all the power for the last 2000 years and then they move on and it it's starting to it, it just really annoys me when stuff gets sort of crowbarred in that's the latest thing because they think that they have to it happened in the in that film Vice Dick Cheney there's a scene early on where his wife kind of tells him to make something of himself or go for it, whatever. And there's just this line that says something. This is like in the 50s or 60s or whatever. And she's the housewife figure and she says, I can't do this because clearly I'm a woman and now's not the time, but you need to go for it for the sake of the family. And she got, as if she said that. As if she ever said that. It doesn't do the cause any good just to copy and paste in something when the entire film is about men and <laughs> male leads. Just if you're going to do that, just make it about Dick Cheney. You don't need to be scoring points. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, nice to see Dementia represented, which is a um, modern Well, I think, it's, I think it's also the idea that there's always a character in, in, in the True Detectives. In the original one, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character has issues with his own memory and his own uh, brain because of the drug taking that he's had in his past as an undercover detective. So right. I think it's also just a, a, a device he's using, the, the writer Nick Pizzoletto or whatever he's called, t- to um, make this a more intriguing journey for the detective to discover what, what went on in the in the original investigation. I will check it out. So, Let's move on Give to... Give me the go. Let's move on to Punisher. Matthew's been going on about Punisher, Punisher recently, and, and I struggled with the first series. My wife and I sort of left it alone a few episodes into the first series. Now, I've started watching it in that time after my wife goes to bed. Uh, that's been my thing. Um, and I've just got to the end of the first episode, or the second episode of the new series, so I'm only that far Oh, in. right, so you've gone, you've, st- you've steamed right through the whole thing. I have steamed through it in the last week. Um, did you enjoy the climax of the first series? Yes, I did very much. Um, okay, cool. And now in terms of um, violence, there's 
you know, I, I am unsure where I stand. If I was on social media, I wouldn't know which end to take on this one. But flipping heck. I mean, yeah. uh, two observations. Yeah, it's pretty serious, isn't it? One, it's absolutely uh, extreme violence. And number two, um, there's this noise that John, what's his name, makes. Um, oh. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, that I use the exact Apologies, same. Listeners. It really stands out. If you listen to the Adventures of Brian Hovis story, there is a part where Brian Hovis is um, uh, snaps his shin, and I pe- pasted in the sound of the actor making that exact noise about four times for comic effect. And now I can't watch <laughs> Punisher without without noticing it. And they really do. Often the guy he's fighting makes the same noise. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, but yeah, really good. I like it, but I'm not sure I stand with it, Matt. It, it's like, um, <sighs> I might do I dis dislike this guy now. I mean, it's that comes. Well, up- this is the beauty of the character <laughs> is that he's a uh, he's a he's a contradiction, and um, uh, you you're never entirely sure where you stand with the Punisher, and he, and which is fine he, he, for a this series is, as isn't a comic it? book character and as the TV show character. And I think that's why this is the best one. It's one of the most true to the uh to the comics in terms of its character portrayal. Yeah. Um and uh but don't you feel that that's true I, for a first series and then a second series where essentially you have to kind of just reset the anger, I suppose. It, it doesn't that then become actually we're watching it to see him uh beat the no. hell out of bad guys in a bad way no because i but i mean i don't want to give too much away mm. but um at the beginning of the new series uh billy russo the bad guy from the first series mm-hmm. is in a sort of um convalescent state where he's trying to get his strength back up and he's lost a lot of his memory yeah we got a bit of a and harvey two-face situation haven't we oh, sort of yes yeah yeah. Well, not really, yes and no. But I mean, not, not really two faces, <laughs> except the fact he's wearing a mask. He's wearing a mask. But um, uh, the first time the two of them meet in the series, uh, Billy still doesn't know what's gone on between him and Frank. Right. And um, so you're in an interesting situation where Frank, you know, the Punisher's just going to kill this guy mm. because of what he is, but the guy doesn't know what he is. Mm. So. He's and and then Frank finds himself wrestling with the idea of whether he should kill him or not. Um, but uh, so so it's it's not as straightforward as that. And they've they've actually drawn some fairly interesting lines in terms of what he should and shouldn't do, how it affects the people around him. Great. Um, so I I think uh, it's worth exploring in this one. I mean, to a certain extent. I, I mean, I'm saying I'm saying this stuff, but. I kind of don't feel as interested in this series as I did in the first. Okay. Because the first series felt much more important in that he was trying to find out who murdered his family. And that felt like such a kind of um, apex goal for him. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this one, he's kind of found himself in this incidental situation with this girl, Amy, and he's protecting her out of some, you know, sense of his own justice, but also just because, he wanted to. He wanted to be back in that life, having been out of it for a while. Yes. Um, but ultimately, the issues in this one, the problems he's facing, don't feel as important as they did in the first one. 
And, this and I is... found myself drifting a little bit while watching it. Isn't this um, a challenge with comic book stuff uh, on TV in long-running things? Because essentially comic books, you, uh, you pick up in the same way that you used to watch uh, traditional TV shows that could run forever. You, you watch Quantum Leap because you know he's going to be put in a new situation and you're going to see that he deals with it in a certain way comics you read because the punisher each week will pick someone who we think deserves it but we wouldn't have the guts to beat him up and he beats them up for us whereas on tv we now want uh, when you start taking uh, when you do the christopher nolan turn and you start saying uh, it's not going to be light uh, stuff it's not going to be easy stuff we need arcs and and the only place you can ultimately end up is these characters developing learning about themselves and then you end up with batman versus superman because arguing with their own moral quandaries isn't that the problem with the aren't we reaching that point of saturation because these characters if you think of daredevil these characters get uh, to a point you can't move them on because you have to try and keep them in the same situation but you want to move them on know, i think you might actually have something there how for the I think you might have I, something i think I, can you just say that, can we just stop for a moment while Matt, <laughs> one this, can you just say that again? Because I've wanted to I hear you say that. You for... might actually have something there, Hal. Whoa. Because right, the, this the is movies... the last podcast we'll ever do. <laughs> I've achieved the movies do seem to work better for this stuff. Yeah, um, and uh, I certainly um, haven't been impressed with Marvel's stable of, of TV shows yet. I think there there have been standout series, Jessica Jones series one, Punisher series one. And to a lesser extent, Daredevil series one. Yeah, yeah. But um, th- they do all feel fatty. Yeah. Um, Same the with the Avengers I, and I think, all that. It's like. Well, no, I disagree with you about that. I think the movies have actually gotten better and oh. better and gone from strength to strength. Oh, okay. Uh, they they they've changed the way they, they had a couple of duds in there, but I think they've actually weeded out the the things that made those films duds. Mm-hmm. And. Certainly, the last six or seven that have been released, I think, have all had a, a, a kind of cogent voice, storytelling style, and um, self-deprecating sense of humour, mm. which has made all of them pretty well, uh, you, you know, seven or above out so, of ten. Hey, do you know what? It's almost like the James Bond quandary as well, which is that you know what you're getting with James Bond. It's the reason I love the Wonder Woman, the new Wonder Woman, because it's like... Well, I don't think it is, actually. I, I, I don't think the two uh, bear comparison at all. Well, I'll, I'll do it. Because a, Bond, uh, Bond reinvents himself every time. Ah, no, but that's what I'm talking about. Well, it, oh, you're um, saying as opposed to the Daniel Craig yes. one, where there is some flow through. Yes, exactly. So the Daniel Craig one, where can that end other than Bond getting better in some way, you know, getting over his psychological flaws whereas in the roger moore days a bit like the gal gadot wonder woman you have a mission and every film is going to be a mission we need to get to the enemy lines and do this great that's why i opened the book james bond there's this bad guy now we're going to go after this guy if you ask me to start looking into their soul and um for for those characters to change that's great for a few but where can daniel craig take it you know five in it's really difficult before yeah, you undo that I know what you mean, character. but they can just reset Bond. They don't need to finish off Daniel Craig's Bond. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it's all Christopher and Nolan's fault. if they think they fault. do, I think they're making a mistake. Yeah. But anyway, um, I, 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 I don't... 
I, I don't think that um, using these characters to examine complex topics is a waste of time. Mm. I think it's uh, I think it's something that should be pursued and, and uh, can be done very very well. I agree. I just think it's short lived. I'm just saying it's got a shelf life that you you can't carry on explore, exploring that well in the same way that you can with something that's that resets really easily every every time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it's nice for but, now. Um, yeah. But Jamie, what, what do you what, what do you think of series two? Yeah, I sort of agree. It was a bit. It's not as good as series one. I'm not as interested. I did watch it. I finished it. I, I find uh, it's definitely I the one of the yet, better. Way. Oh, really? Okay. I, I find it's definitely the best of the the Marvel outlet on Netflix. I don't know if this will get a third series. It'll be interesting because I'm guessing they're going to be watching very closely how it does streaming wise to whether they continue it or not. But I wouldn't be surprised if it gets cancelled. And if it does, then. I'd be sad, but I could see why. Like you said, Howell, they have a certain shelf life, these kind of shows that demand a certain amount of um, mm. uh, sort of depth to them. So it, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But it, he is very good at it, John Bernthal, even though it's quite a two-dimensional role at times. Um, who some also... of the script is horrendous at times. There are some really bad scripts. And it's extremely violent. But at the same time, I always watch it I always watch to the end, yeah. and I always stay gripped. It and is I don't Marvel, know isn't it? Is yeah. I spend a lot of time kind of getting annoyed by it, but I'll still I don't stop watching it. So what's the deal with even, because Marvel's disappeared off Netflix because Disney's setting up its own doodah? How come Punisher's still on it? Does anyone know? Oh, I don't know. Punisher. Well, Punisher is. It, they've all had at least. Well, I don't think they all had two series. But I think they just probably started making Punisher before. And Punisher did well. Series 1 did well on Netflix. Right. So that's why they made a second we one. We can presume that that's going to migrate as well when Disney start a new um, Marvel doodah, I'd imagine. Yeah. I'm not sure where Punisher would fit in the Disney well, world. Well, <laughs> that's the other question. And I can only presume that they're going to have a door. You know, there's going to be a specific Marvel thing, I would imagine. But it, yeah, it doesn't. The thing with it doesn't fit. The thing with the Punisher that I I find gripping is retribution. I think it is. Mm, I do like yeah. vengeance sometimes. Mm. I like the film Equalizer with Denzel Washington because mm. I really, mm. even though it's a pretty average <laughs> film, I do quite. Do you know like, what's better is Man on Fire though. Oh yeah, no Man on Fire is great. This yeah. is quite oh, a short film. Like retribution is it? That's tracking. That's manhunt kind of territory, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Um, what's the film with Joaquin Phoenix that I watched this weekend? <laughs> that's all retribution. It's on. Oh, did you watch? Um, oh, what's it called? Um, I know what you mean. It's. Uh, it's on Prime, I think. The, the Lynn Ramsey film. Yeah. Uh, it's called. Oh, I've got to get this. Damn it! Find it, someone, because it's great. Oh, it's just I'll the one it. where it's his face. You, kind of you were never the really there. You, you were never, never really here. Yeah. It's really good. Is that the one? Yeah, loved it. Short as well. <laughs> it was great. Well done, them. Turns out you can tell a story in like an hour 20. Who knew? Amazing. Um, hey, uh, John Bernthal makes a cameo on which Netflix comedy series? Ooh, For 10 points. Netflix comedy series. Netflix comedy. Time's uh, up, I'm afraid. It's correct. Did you just Google it? Oh. No. Um, yes. Yeah, Kimmy Schmidt watched every episode now. That series is finished, and I have loved every second of it. Jamie, you quit it. Why did you quit it? I think I lost interest. I think it wasn't... I wasn't 
so I was bothered anymore about the plot. I, I mean, I thought the characters were still funny, but I lost. I just lost interest. Um, I don't know why. I think you have to pick it up again and remember that you're watching it to watch jokes because there's more jokes in that per second than anything else I've seen, I think. And you, you have to be quite awake to watch it. Maybe uh, having think, yeah, a young child too, may yeah, have affected you. It is yeah. one of those shows that it's sort of so in your face. Yeah. You kind of lose... By the time you, you might be laughing at something, but then you've missed a million things, and then you kind of go, "Oh, where are we now?" And then there's some you kind of end up uh, trying to concentrate rather than trying to enjoy it. The way they wrap up the characters, didn't do anything stuff. for me. Oh, what a shame! I urge you try again because it's uh, it's just gag, 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 and it, and it, the the way they take the characters in terms of the extremes. You know, if Titus is sort of uber self obsessed, he becomes. 20 times more self-obsessed before he learns anything you know it's just, it's very funny um well so i've been re-watching parks and rec and oh my mm. god i bloody love ron swanson i just oh that show is a big winner do you know how, gu- how, so how gutted was i when i realized i came in to record my excess manchester radio shows a few weeks ago a couple of weeks ago and uh that is in spinning fields in manchester and about 200 metres away is the very, very old John Ryland's library, which is a beautiful old library. And Ron Swanson, while I was here, was there. And I didn't notice until I saw Instagram later that day. No. Wow, that's terrible. I could have gone and met oh. Nick Thingy. I've forgotten his name. Oh, yeah, you know, as well, I realised, I was watching um, Graham Norton the other night, and I realised that show has given me an almost kind of... Un- uh, drainable pool of affection for Chris Pratt. Yes, I yeah. don't think he can really do anything wrong. In my no, life, I can it? put up with him in the mo- in the biggest beefed up sellout movie that he can possibly yeah. pick, and still. But I'm just always waiting for it to make that. Just like, Hi, Sandy. I mean, Jurassic <laughs> Park. Did anyone watch the latest Jurassic Park one? I didn't. No. I mean, I, didn't, I haven't seen any of the Jurassic World films. What we were sorry, saying guys, earlier I, about I, the what you got to go. go. Oh no! Yeah, it's, go. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, my apologies. Well, uh, Fargo, Mad Men, Kidding, and Kimmy Schmidt are now in my top uh, ten ever. So if you can watch wow, any of them before there, next eh? time, yeah, yeah, do it. Thank you, Matt. Thank Goodbye. you. I think sorry we're done. To, to be honest, off. no worries. No yeah. worries. But you go. Okay. Jamie and I'll wrap up. Right. Off you pop. Bye. Bye. God, I hate Bye. Matthew. Flipping, right? Yeah, it stinks the room out. Glad he's gone. Uh, Russian Doll, we didn't talk about that. That's new, I've not seen it. Have you? We need we need to do that next week. Russian Doll, everybody's talking about it. It's getting critically acclaimed. It's a show that's been created by uh, Natasha Leon, and uh, who from, who's from Orange is the New Black, and Amy Poehler, of course, from Parks and Rec. So Yeah, I started it. She, definitely... as an actress, as a part, she, I've got to say I'm not a huge fan in Orange is the New Black. I was never... A huge. She wasn't my favourite. Let's so, put it that way. But uh, you know. What have you said? Did you say you've started? Uh, yeah, but I, I watched uh, some of the first episode so far. I think. Okay. Okay. Let's 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 deep dive next week okay. into that. We'll talk Walking Dead's return as well. Game of Thrones is, is coming back, and my wife interviewed Aya Stark for the TV. Yes. Um, Maisie Thingy Williams is it? No. Maybe, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was nice. That was exciting. The day she went to interview Maisie, she had a small amount of time with her, and uh, 
She said, I'm going to have to ask you about Game of Thrones. And Maisie said, well, it's only your time you're wasting. (laughs) But I think it's more, I think she meant, don't ask me because I can't give anything away. Um, And uh, one other thing I urge you to watch if you've not seen it, two things. One, if you've not watched the Adam Sandler live on Netflix, have you watched that yet, Jamie? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, eh? Isn't it great? Very good. It's very good, yeah. Um, and Ellen has returned to stand-up after so many years, and you don't really realise how big Ellen is until you go to the United States. Uh, I've been on a, her set. I've done a movie tour at uh, Warner Brothers. Anyway, she uh, is back doing stand-up, and it is brilliant, and you realise why she is the wonderful person that she is. So I urge you to watch that. It will make you happy. It's great. Uh, that's it. If you want to email us, as usual, nobody emails us. So if you do, we will read it. Uh, Studio at theboxsetpod.com. Especially if you are either a computer or a human that can write music, you're more than welcome to write us a new theme tune. Uh, Thank you. See you in a couple of weeks. Cheers, Jamie. Right, see you, bye. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.